In all my 20 years of working with fashion brands, creative agencies, retail stores, and working on some of the most prominent collaborations of all time, you know what the most stressful thing I've ever done is? Trying to start a podcast. No, seriously, trying to get a podcast off the ground is like advanced mathematics. It's a tangled web of codes, confusing links, and algorithms. That is until the day I discovered Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. A, it is free. B, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your smartphone or computer. C, Anchor will take care of distributing your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else people listen to shows. And last but not least, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Thank you, Anchor. No, really, thank you. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Hypebeast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. I am really excited for this week's episode of The Business of Hype because we address one of the biggest questions I get from young designers and creatives, which is, how do I get my brand out there? How do I get customers? And while I can give you a sort of generic 90-second answer, it's just far too complicated to explain everything quickly and succinctly. But this week's guest has lived, breathed, sweated and bled through the fashion industry, and specifically the sales and marketing side, with experience that runs decades long. So the insight that she will share will be amazing to hear firsthand. Secondly, what's really special about her is that she has now taken all that gained wisdom and created something entirely new to give back to her community. We're going to drop knowledge on fashion, retail, the ever-evolving shift from wholesale to -to direct-to-consumer models, and also work ethic, motivation, being prepared, and providing an opportunity for others. We live in a world where we make, make, and make, and often forget that in that process, we also need to figure out ways to share and share that love. Any opportunity this week's guest was given, she took it and created something of more value out of it. And now she's ready to give back and pave a path for many others. Get ready for the one and only Sharifa Murdoch. My name is Sharifa Murdoch, um, co-owner of Liberty Fair's uh, trade show, Cabana and Capsule, and owner of Envision Festival. Okay. So you co-own three things and you fully own one thing. Yes. Okay, cool. All right. Um, talk to me about first briefly elevator pitch, like what is, um, Liberty Capsule Cabana? Those are three separate things. Three separate companies, but all the same kind of type of company. Uh, all of them are trade shows, fashion trade shows. Uh, basically it's B2B, B2B being business to business, Mm -hmm. um, 
trade show where retailers come to see brands and what they're bringing up for the season mm-hmm. to come up in the fall. Okay. Yeah. And what's the, like traditionally, what's been the the positive factors of having a trade show and people going to a trade show? The positive factors of having a trade show is just finding new brands. Mm-hmm. And for, I think for retailers is discovery. Yeah. Um, and just being able to meet so many amazing people. Right. In yeah. a very short amount of time. In a short amount of time. And in like a span of three days, you're like getting to see as many people as you need to see as a retailer. Yeah. Yeah. So full editor's note disclosure. Yeah. I'm a trade show, trade show dog. Right? <laughs> you sure are. Yeah. Like I've been going to trade shows for um, 22 years. Okay. Right. I mean, like, and they're always in Vegas. Yes. Right. In addition to other cities. But yeah. Vegas, Vegas seems like to be the, the hub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many times have you been to um, Vegas in your life? Have I you ever counted? Even, I haven't counted and I really should. What, would, it what has, would your guess be? I think at least over 50 to 60. No, I think it's triple digits. No, it can't Because you go be. for vacation too, don't you? I went a couple of times for vacation, but like... Bachelorette parties? Yeah, yeah. I'm at, I counted once and how it, many? Was, it was 80 at one point. What? Yeah. Oh my God, no. It's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's it's great, as you said, because in 72 hours, you can see so many people, connections, designers, brands, stores, everything yeah. Yeah. that, you know, it would take you much longer to even just email them. I feel them. like Vegas is like the homecoming for fashion. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's exactly. kind of like you see all the people you want to connect with right. and that you probably haven't seen in years. Yeah. So I think that that's probably the best part of it. Yeah. So if you're a store and you're looking for brands, it's a great place. A hundred percent. If yes. you're a brand looking to open, open retail. Open retail, it's a good place right. as well. So, yes. okay. Vice so versa. for those who don't know, that's what a trade show is. Um, I would say, and you could um, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. predominantly, like still to this day, 98% of fashion brands in the world still operate on that level. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, 100%. Yeah. The, the only change and shift, in, which we'll talk about later, is the direct-to-consumer.com shift where yes. like they're just going straight to the consumer. To consumer. Yeah. 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 And we'll talk about that shift later. Yeah. Um, so now talk to me again, quick <laughs> elevator pitch okay. about your, your wholly owned operation. Oh my God. And Vision Fest is a women's conference. Okay. Uh, basically, you know, I was going to all these different festivals throughout the year mm-hmm. and I felt like I wasn't getting anything from it as a female mm-hmm. and it just empowered me to do something that I've been wanting to do for years. I've had a ton of young girls come up to me for mentorship and I felt like there were so many amazing women that I've met, met along the way that I felt can give them the same sort of mentorship in a conference form. Yeah. So we started it last season. It was really successful. Uh, over 2,500 people came, and I wanted to continue it. So it's a festival where it's based on music, beauty, and wellness, and conversation, oh. and education. And, and you've done one now. I've done one. I'm doing the second one September 14th and 15th. Okay, cool. And you want to do it once a year? I want to do it once a year. And where does it take place? In Brooklyn and Industry City. Brooklyn okay. is where I was from, so I had to start it there. Okay, so yeah. you're giving back. I'm giving back. All right, so before we get too far into how you were able to, like, acquire all of these things and do all of these businesses. Let's go back to like the beginning. Mm-hmm. Obviously the one theme, the one running thread throughout all of these is maybe fashion, yes. right? Is the one running thread. Yeah. Have you all your life been like super into fashion? Oh my God. Since I was a kid, okay. I used to, it's so funny. My family would still make fun of me up to this day. I used to get fully dressed and had nowhere to go. I just get fully <laughs> dressed old? Old at like eight. Okay. Sit and I get up in the morning, <laughs> right. take a shower 
and get fully dressed and just sit there and sit wait for someone. Yes, and wait for someone to tell me we're going somewhere. Right. What is that quote? All dressed up. With all dressed up. With no, that was me at eight years old. Right. My dad used to like laugh at me. They'll be like, "Where are you going?" And uh -huh. I'm like, "I'm waiting. I'm waiting <laughs> for to the get, invite. I'm waiting for the invite to go somewhere." Um, and I always loved dressing up. And as I got older, it was just heightened mm -hmm. like you know of course when you become a teenager you start getting into labels yeah. and at the time guess was like a big deal guess jeans yes guess jeans was my favorite thing in, oh, in yeah. this planet like guess was luxury you could no exactly yeah. guess was luxury and i will fall out in malls and embarrass my father if he didn't get me what i wanted mm -hmm. like i was that girl what was what was like a pair of guess jeans back in the day probably 68 dollars. okay i remember that because uh -huh. i used to wear guess <laughs> jeans and 5411 reeboks that mm -hmm. was my thing right so and do you know why 5411 reeboks are called 5411 that's what i don't know to be because honest. the price was like forty nine ninety nine yeah. and plus with tax, tax it was fifty four eleven. Yes, it yes. was like the most okay. hood reason to call the shoes. Like they cost fifty four eleven dollars. I was that girl. <laughs> okay, so yeah. you remember sixty eight dollars, but like your dad wouldn't get you the guest jeans. He would get them for me, but I would want more. There was uh, always something else that I needed. I'm yeah, that yeah. girl that always wants more. Uh -huh. I, up to today, I'm yeah. a grown-ass adult, and I'm always like, they're like, oh, my God, you're doing so great. And I'm like, no, I still have more. to achieve yeah, more. Yeah. You know, so There's another pair of Sakai's you got to get. There's another <laughs> pair of Sakai's out there that I got to get. There's all kinds of things that I need. She's rocking the Sakai's right now. So. <laughs> In like the very hard-to-get petite size, too. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, all right, so you're, you're obviously into fashion young, yeah. right? And do you remember the first time you were like, I'm going to be working in fashion somehow, somewhere. Oh my way. God, of course. Like I, well, I started out, I'm going to tell you the entire story because okay. I always feel like you have to start from the real beginning. Mm -hmm. When I was 11, I had a paper route okay. and those <laughs> things were real. Not fashionable. <laughs> and then I made my way over to a grocery store called Key Food that was in the neighborhood. Key Food, for those who don't know, <laughs> yes, is not... It's not your Walmart old, no, it's like... No, it's the hood grocery It's like store. rat poo in the meat yes, department. Yes, yes. Fully, right? Fully. Yeah. No, that was me. <laughs> and then I made my way to McDonald's. Okay. And I worked at McDonald's for like three to four years. It was yeah. the craziest thing. Many, many great people have started out at McDonald's. Yeah. 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 What did and you do? That's like I did the. I was a manager at one point. I was. Wrote, really? I worked my way up oh, in wow, McDonald's. Okay. Like okay. I was serious about this. Yeah. I was always devoted to working. Like, what is the thing about McDonald's that produces like great people? I just think that they make you work really hard, mm -hmm. and you have to figure things out. Yeah. You have to learn each and every aspect. So I knew how to cook the food. I knew how to do the cashier. I knew how to do the drive-thru. <laughs> I went through the whole regimen of McDonald's. It's like a military. At one point, right? I was like, you know how they, you know, sometimes they're like gassing you, like, you can franchise and you can. Uh -huh. I was really thinking about, well, maybe I can do this for a living. And then I was like, <laughs> too much French fries. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, okay, so um, Mickey and after D's. Mickey and then... D's, there was a store in Manhattan called Atrium. Yes. And Atrium was probably. I remember growing up. That was mm -hmm. before anything mm -hmm. had ever opened. And I went in and I applied and I got the job. Yeah. Describe Atrium for young people who don't realize what it so was. So Atrium was actually one of the first stores that did shop within shops. Yep. So when you walked in the store, there had like a shop, a Ralph Lauren store in the back. Mm -hmm. They had a Donna Cameron DKNY store in the back. Mm -hmm. They sold all of the hype clothes at the time. Yeah. Iceberg, uh -huh. um, Techno Marines, like all wow. of those things were like... A thing back then. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, and these things come back, which is so funny. Yeah. Um, and it was also beautifully curated. Oh, it was amazing. Like the, the architecture of the space was amazing. It was, it's actually an old bank. Oh, really? Yeah, it's an old bank. So downstairs they have the bank vault. It's oh, incredible. Wow. And they also had every jean. 
company mm-hmm. at that time that right. was out yeah. and that was coming out. Yep. And it was like the number one thing. Like yeah. Frankie B's was a big deal mm-hmm. <laughs> then. So we, you what know, year was, was this happy. when you when you got that job? 1980 something, 80, 1998 or something like that. It was okay. crazy. So, All right. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Atrium now is just geographically speaking is was on Broadway, Broadway and Bleecker. Yep, right on the corner. Right, which then be housed Became Kith. Kith. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get to a little bit of a side story of there. But um, so you so you were a shopper of uh-huh. Atrium. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then I walked in and asked for a job because <laughs> I needed to pay for the things that I were buying. Did you quit McDonald's? Yes, I, I quit McDonald's. Okay, you quit McDonald's and you walk in and you're just like, I'd like a I job. I need a job, a salesperson. What they said? They were like, okay, let's interview. Right That's there? how my life has always been. Yes. It's like, I need a job. Okay, do you have time to interview? Yeah. Okay, no problem. <laughs> That's how my life has been with every job that okay. I've had. Yeah. All right. It's the most interesting thing. Is that luck or is that charisma? I think it's both. Okay. <laughs> I think it's both. Right. I think that I just, like, you know, I was very excited and young and enthusiastic, and I went in with this energy mm-hmm. that I was really positive about myself, which I probably didn't even know what I was doing, but, mm. you know. The energy is important. Energy is very important. People peep that a mile away. Just I actually fire. remember now, as a young kid, like, walking into stores, like, Foot Locker and Athlete's Foot, and, like, asking for the application form, and I remember my energy was all off. Really? I'd be like, um, do you have an application yeah. form? Like, all, like, mealy and shit, Oh, no, you know? I was going in, like... Can I get a job? <laughs> like, right. listen, I need to afford these things that I want. Yeah. And my dad and growing up and get the discount. <laughs> my dad was like instilled in me, like, if you ever want something. That's how I started working because mm-hmm. I always wanted to ask for things. And yeah. he was like, if you want something, you have to work for it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would be like, I want 10 items, 15 items from one store. And he'll be looking at me like, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, okay, well, you need to do this and you need to do this in the house. He would give you like a, a task list. He would list. give me a task list uh-huh. in order for me to get each item that okay. I wanted. And that's how I started to d- develop the form of working for what I wanted. Word. Yeah, that's at dope. a young age. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you get the atrium job? I get the atrium job and I am like the top seller in atrium. Right away. <laughs> right away. <laughs> okay. Had you... Had you had the opportunity to meet the owner yet? Um, not really. Okay. No. Right. And then finally, so it was interesting because it was three owners. It was three brothers, actually. Okay. Um, and it was like retail back in the day was fun. Mm-hmm. You, I would get dressed up. The whole staff would get dressed up on a mm-hmm. Saturday. And it was like, you're dressed to the nines because this is when you're going to sell the most clothes ever. Yeah. And we used to kind of compete with each other to know like who's going to sell. It was fun It's back not like then. that today? Oh, hell no. I go in retail stores and no, I think that the, I I go in retail shops today and I think the problem is, is that the employees think that they're better than the consumer Yes, and they don't want to help you. Mm -hmm. So back then I was like running around trying to help people get them. If if this didn't fit, I'm referring other things. I'm making the sale by any means necessary. Today it's like, oh, it doesn't fit. All right. Well, sorry. I don't have anything for you. And it's it's kind of depressing. And I think customer service is a lost art and I really wish it comes back. I really do. Okay, so you were hustling and grinding. I was a hustler back then, yes. All right, and then, um, I, I mean, I don't know if you have other, other Atrium war stories, but like... Oh, I have I, so many. <laughs> Atrium was one of the hottest stores. It was like celeb, everyone shopped Everyone there. shopped yeah. there. I mean, like, I've met some incredible people, Jay, Big, I've, I've met Busta, all, uh-huh. like, all the people that you would think of, they shopped in Atrium. That's so sick. It was amazing. What, so what year were you, this is band, you said... Uh, this is like 19, I'm going to date myself, probably 1998 <laughs> on to 2000. I stayed there for like three years or so. Uh-huh. And then 
<laughs> I had the joke upon everything in Atrium is that anyone that worked in Atrium once, they worked there twice. So <laughs> I remember them not being able to give me a day off from work because uh-huh. I had to go to a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I can't get this day off, I got to go. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't give me the day off and I had left. So you quit. I quit. Uh-huh. And ended up, when I went to school in Rhode Island, I ended up getting a job at Donna Karen. Okay. And then I ended up coming back to New York mm-hmm. um, and working at Louis Vuitton. Same thing. Walked in Louis Vuitton one day, just uh-huh. random. Hey, are you guys hiring? Yeah, can you interview right now? I was in the middle of school and I was like on a break, like a lunch break, yeah, just yeah, walking yeah. around Fifth Avenue. And they were like, can you interview? I was like, yep. Missed the class and everything. They were like, okay, you're hired. Wow. And I got the job right away. The Fifth Avenue flagship. The fi- well, it's funny because it used to be on 55th and 5th, uh-huh. the smaller, fl- before they even built that flagship store, yeah, there was yeah. a smaller Louis Vuitton store okay. on 55th and 5th, right in, in, inside the St. Regis Hotel. Okay. And I worked there and I was a salesperson and then I started building up their customer service department. Mm-hmm. So then they gave me like a little space and that's all I did. I mm-hmm. did customer service for Louis Vuitton. I built their whole entire repair department. Okay. That's amazing. And then um, <laughs> I remember they were building that big flag. flag store and they were yeah. showing me my office and Sam who owned Atrium uh-huh. at the time called and he was like listen everyone's coming back to Atrium mm-hmm. and I'm like I've been sitting in an office at Louis Vuitton I'm chilling getting bags for cheap <laughs> I'm trying to live here forever and he was just like everyone's coming back and something in his voice just kind of like clicked clicked in my mind. I uh-huh. don't know what it was. And I was like, he was like, I want you to come back. Had you met Sam before? Yeah. Like, interacted? I met Sam once I was working there for but a only long once. time. Yeah. I met him a couple of times. Okay. He knew my work from working in Atrium. And because you were one of the top salespeople. Yeah. So like he knew. He yeah. knew he had to have you back. Yeah. Okay. So you wait. So it's Atrium, then Donna Karen. Yep. Then LV. Yeah. And then, and then Sam, Sam from Atrium calls, me calls, back and calls you. He's like, I'm like, he'll, I'll figure out something for you to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I come back to Atrium. Was the offer so good that like... There was no offer that was so good. I just honestly remembered Sam. And I felt something. And I remember him being just so nice and kind. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, you know what? Let me take a chance on this. And I you could, weren't you weren't upset at LV. I wasn't for, upset at LV. It was I could have sat at LV and continued to buy purses and just mm-hmm. be that girl, yeah. or I could make a decision and take a leap. And right. I decided to leap. Wow, that that um internal instinct of like just because that was a phone call too. So yeah. it was like just hearing something across the no, phone I line. No, I trusted. I remember trusting Sam. That's mm-hmm. what it was. It was mm-hmm. like, and I always say this until today, I would never be the woman I am in business if it wasn't for him. Okay. Because he basically steered, once he made that phone call, mm-hmm. he steered my direction in life. Mm-hmm. You know? What is Sam's last name? Ben Abraham. It's just so kids can Google Yeah, it. Sam But ben you won't Abraham, find much on him. You would never find much on him, but what you do find is he's an amazing individual. Yeah. And I think that everyone in the industry shows him tons of respect because- oh, yeah. They know what he has done and what he continuously does to today. Man, Atrium, Donna Karen, Louis Vuitton, and then back to Atrium, but by the direct request of the owner, Sam Ben Abraham. It seems like Sharifa has the craziest luck, right? Or she's like always in the right place at the right time. I mean, come on. Who walks into these places asking for an interview and then gets it right then and there? That's amazing. Or is it? I mean, most people I know, they wouldn't even have asked. Hell, I know sometimes I've been in a position where I was shook to ask. So it's important to notice that these opportunities are not falling into Sharifa's lap. She is out there grabbing them, which is how winners win. 
But there's actually even more to it than that. There's the confidence Sharifa has to approach these places, the professionalism and charisma to connect with people in real life, and the instincts and knowledge of seeing a great opportunity and knowing what to do when put into that position. It would be damn near disrespectful to chalk it up to luck. Whatever the role or position, like any other great person, she was always prepared for when that opportunity came. Now, you ready for some black belt level advice? Because even after all that, after you've landed the job, it's not enough to just get your foot into the door. Once Sharifa got in, she wasn't going to sit there. She created more for herself once she got there. Whether it was becoming the top salesperson or building out an entire department or knowing when it was time to jump ship, even when that ship had a sick epi leather monogram pattern on the side of it. If there's anything that's tried and true in this industry, it's that work ethic will always pay off. It may be a slow burn compared to others. Some may have that white hot fire that gets quick notice and pushed up to the next level. But what will always make a long lasting impact is how hard you work. That person who rises fast can just as easily come tumbling down quickly. The knowledge you gain from the process that process is the foundation for everything you build in the future. No process, no foundation. No foundation, no future. This is just one man's personal opinion. Without a doubt, Sharifa has all of this, which is why she is clearly such a boss. Okay, so you're back at Atrium now. At How Atrium. is it round two? Um, round two, I was a store manager for okay. a little bit. And then Sam comes to me and he says, listen, I want to do this thing. And I'm like, what? He's like, it's called Project. And I'm like, what's Project? And I'm 23 at the time, so I have no idea what he's talking about. I went uh -huh. to school for fashion. I have an associate's degree. That's it. Had you been to a trade show? I've never been to a trade show. Okay. That was the joke. <laughs> and he was like, he gave me a list. And I remember saying, these people are never going to listen to me. He mm -hmm. was like, call these people and brands. tell them. Yeah, okay. brands. At the time, he just said, call my friends. Mm -hmm. Call these people and tell them I want them to do my show. And I'm like, they're not going to listen to me. Yeah, yeah. He's like, don't worry. And I started calling people. Mm -hmm. And I just like, the thing about Sam is he's not a micromanager. He mm -hmm. just pushes you in the direction. And yeah. you basically are teaching yourself uh -huh. you what to do. You got to figure it out, yeah. But what's so amazing about him is, is if you messed up, you fucked up. Mm -hmm. That was it. It wasn't like a big deal. Uh -huh. You know, right. you messed up. He's like, all right, let's figure out how uh -huh. we're going to make it better. Yeah. And that's kind of how I was trained. Right. That's dope. You know, and I think even up to today, that's how I train my staff, mm -hmm. which is interesting. It's kind of like I'm not a micromanager. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and babysit you. If you know what you want to do with your life, do it. Mm -hmm. If not, it's okay. Yeah. We just part ways and we'll always be friends. Right, right. And that's how I learned. Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. One of my favorite quotes. Everyone has different working styles, but a common thread I hear with many guests on the business of hype is that success can be directly attributed to giving people the freedom to explore, learn, and shape their own perspective on their own terms. Yes, there's guidance and structure put in place, but allowing someone to figure out things for themselves allows them to realize things fully instead of being just a cog in the machine. Now, if you're the one assigned to do the job, 
it's important to figure out how to best do that task and process it as needed. Actually do it. Don't just watch, memorize, and mimic, but absorb, assess, and master. This not only gets the work done, but it empowers you to own that skill for the rest of your life and apply your own style to it, to improve upon it. Now, if you're a manager listening to this, this applies to you as well, but on the flip side. If you treat people like children, you will have an army of kids to look after. And if the people that report up to you fail and cannot progress as both coworkers and human beings, well, guess what? It's not a reflection on them. It's a reflection on you. So Project is a trade show, but is a trade, trade show. shows, like what was the prevailing trade show at the time? Who was oh the competition? My God. So back then there was a, a trade show called, uh, there was two. Mm-hmm. There was always E&K, which was like a huge women's trade show. And okay. she had like, um, she had started a men's trade show, mm-hmm. which was a smaller component. And then there was um, To Be Confirmed. Yeah. There was a show called To Be I Confirmed. I showed it To Be Confirmed. Did you? I did. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> um, they had, something happened and they were on the boat and uh-huh. the boat, like, I, whatever show, they were at the water on the piers, okay. and it, like, started to leak. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam used to go to these trade shows all the time because he was the buyer for Atrium, yeah. and he just felt like it wasn't a comfortable atmosphere to shop as a buyer. Mm-hmm. And that's how he came up with the concept okay. of, like, look, I can do this myself. All right. So you, where was the first project? Oh, the first project, I remember it like yesterday. It was in the Puck Building. Uh-huh. Um, for all you guys who don't know, the Puck Building is on Lafayette. Mm-hmm. And, it's um, where Houston. REI is now. It's where REI is. Yeah. And we used the main floor and the penthouse. I guess it's exactly where REI no, is it, now. No, it's the exact building. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting because... Oh, so you used the ground floor and, and then the, the penthouse. penthouse. Nothing in between. <laughs> nothing in between. Everything that could have went wrong, went wrong yeah. that time. And I was like <laughs> telling you... Like I was driving like big trucks. Uh-huh. I didn't have no idea what I was doing. I and I know hopefully the law doesn't catch up with me today. I was like literally driving one of those tractor trailer trucks and like I sideswiped a whole bunch of cars going down and I was like so nervous about it because I was like, what am I to do? They're like, go, just drive. Because we were hopefully bringing there's a, a statute of limitation on hit and run. Of like, <laughs> well, I didn't hit anyone. I just right, hit the cars. Right. Okay, okay. Um, and then the I remember the uh, elevator not working. Uh-huh. So the day had, of. Yes. So we're bringing up the rolling racks, uh-huh. and rolling racks are like let's just say six feet long, mm-hmm. and they have it's you know we're and in the puck building the stairs are wind up stairs. <laughs> so we're bringing up rack by rack, circular twisting, stairs. Yeah, twisting it back and forth. It was like. It was hilarious, but it got it became very successful. Yeah, yeah. And it was something that was amazing. That's great. Yeah. All right. So, how did project number one go? Project number one was a great success. Okay. I honestly, I, it's so funny because I didn't know what I was doing. So, twenty-three mm-hmm. year old girl just putting together a show and just being happy to be a part of this was a big deal for me. Yeah. So by the time I turned, we we got to project number three or four, mm-hmm. it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it was a big deal. I'm just like happy to be there and yeah, happy yeah. to be working on something that's so creative and so innovative right. that you're just having fun with it mm-hmm. and you're not realizing that you're working. Yeah, It was really fun. What characteristics and personality traits does it require to run a good trade show? Oh my God. <laughs> you have to be a chameleon. Uh-huh. You have to be a person that has patience Yeah, and that is able to deal with situations very calmly because mm-hmm. everything, you have to put yourself on the other person's 
in the other person's shoes, yeah. right? Because it's you, a customer service this business, This is a right? big customer yeah. service business, and people are spending a lot of money mm. to be there. And you have to be empathetic to everyone's situation. Yeah. You have to be just humble and happy and graceful for them to be there and be a mm-hmm. part of it, mm-hmm. right? Because, they're, yes, we are doing them a service, but they're also doing us a service. Yeah. And you always have to remember that. But people have to realize that like, you might have 50, 70, 100 brands that oh. all think that, they that they're are, the most important everyone brand. Is the, and you have to make sure everyone feels right. like they are just as important as the next guy. Yeah, yes. exactly. So there's, <laughs> yes. a, there's ego massaging is a oh, big yeah. one. Uh-huh. But then there's going to be like some outside shit hitting the fan. Oh, like all the AC time. not work or whatever. Oh, like we always had those problems. <laughs> those problems still exist. Yeah. It's like, why don't these buildings just get fixed? <laughs> it's crazy with trade shows. It's like seriously like three days of Murphy's Law. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like a three day You just never know what's like, gonna happen. And I always say it's never a trade show with me and Sam uh-huh. unless it in the winter it's a huge snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Or in the summer, it's one of the hottest days of summer. Yeah. We always get hit with those two things it's right. just it's just what it is right. and we've accepted it at this point um so talk about now how you shifted to vegas so we with, with project i think it took all, like not that long it took was probably four shows mm-hmm. and at the time there was magic happening out there and a lot of people were kind of fed up with like the big mass trade shows yeah. and we came in as kind of like a small boutique show mm-hmm. Um, which was a cooler show. And it was just because we had the customer service. When you become too big, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you do lose some of your cool and you do lose some of your customer service. Um, Whereas that was something that we thrived on. Mm -hmm. Like, I was adamant down to the toilet paper in the bathroom. Like, I'm like, do we have enough lotion? Do we Mm have... I wanted to make it more elevated. And that was something that me and Sam always, like, talked about was like... What would you want if you walked into here? How comfortable do you want to feel? Mm-hmm. How do you make people want to stay on the floor longer? Yeah. You know, and it's just about those little things and it's nothing major. It's right. just about really thought. paying attention and putting thought into what would make people happy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But is doing a project out in Vegas much harder than doing one in New York? Oh, 100%. Why? Well, because you have drayage. It's like drayage. Explain drayage. Drayage is this thing that people pay for <laughs> and it just becomes expensive because they're weighing everything as it's it the comes cost in. To bring it's stuff the in. cost to bring things in. So I remember being <laughs> at Project and someone did a booth build out of books. Mm-hmm. Books. Heavy ass books. Heavy ass books. So when they got the drayage bill, it's like a trillion, <laughs> trillion dollars and they're like, what? You know? Yeah, yeah. And also just like the simplest thing is corkage. 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 Corkage is the like the bottle of water. Yeah. If I wanted, even if I wanted a sponsor to come into Vegas, uh-huh. I can't just bring the sponsor to Vegas. I have to now pay corkage fees okay. for that bottle of water. And it's on each an individual bottle of water. So a bottle of water <laughs> goes from being a dollar to probably about five dollars. Oh, that's why or six dollars. That's why a bottle of water in Vegas is like seven dollars. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So Be- mo- most of the most of the issues stem from Politics that the casinos, casinos have made Casinos, 100%. Yeah. That's why it's always great. When we started in New York, we were using these buildings that didn't have those rules. Mm-hmm. Because those rules are like, we can bring in whatever we want. We can create a beautiful space. We can, you know, yeah. think of all the things that you can do in these in, in these smaller spaces where right. you don't have to deal with that. Also, just weighing down the clients with those type of fees is not yeah. useful either. Right. Yeah. Can you do that in Vegas? Like, just do no. it in the... Um, the 
we still have the problem. Because even last season, we did our show downtown. Yeah. And you still have some of those problems. Right. You still have it's to natural. have. It's natural. Because they see if the casinos are doing it, we can we charge. We can charge, yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> right. So, okay, so that's Project. And Project, for those who don't know, did become like One a, of the a, a staple in the a business. A staple business. Yep. It still continues to be that. Yep. Um, I stayed there for 10 years. Actually, yeah. So it got bought. It got bought. Yeah, they bought within, Sam out. Yeah. Okay. And Sam he, sold it. Whatever, Sam sold how, it, yeah. and um, I wanted. I felt the need to stay on because I originally brought in all those brands. We started at sixty-seven brands, and by the time we sold it, it was over a thousand. Okay. And I was the at the forefront of bringing in all of those brands, and I felt it was my duty. You know, yeah, I didn't want to just not yeah. to desert and just right. jump ship. How um, many years did that take from founding it to selling it? Probably three years. It was like quick. Holy cow. It was the quickest thing. I'm going to say three to four years, let's okay. just say. And then Sam stayed on for like another year or two. Were and you then, a co-owner at the time? At that the time, all? no. Okay. I was just an employee. Okay. So I stayed on. You stayed on. And um, it just became very did corporate. Did Sam do well? Sam did very well. <laughs> <laughs> we did very well. Yes. Um, like how well? Very well. Those like numbers. house well? Uh, 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 yes. Home well, Home like well. real estate acreage well. well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> not like not like BMW well. No, no. He did well. <laughs> Sam, I always say he wins lotto all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Sam. He's amazing. Right. Um, but I stayed on for 10 years um, and it just became very corporate. Yeah. And I went from being, and that's when I realized it was like, listen, entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and corporate. That's how I, yeah, I, you're I an figured entrepreneur. it out. Yeah. I, w- I was... Brought up to be an entrepreneur, so mm-hmm. now putting this girl into a corporate structure yeah. was kind of like, eh, it yeah. just didn't work for me. How long did you last? Only two years. Okay, and that I just and I lasted by the skin of my teeth. Like every day was painful. Every day was painful. I would, and it's sad because I remember, I remember being so happy when. Friday came because I knew I had the weekend. By Saturday night, I was crying because I didn't want to go back to work on Monday. That's how painful. No, I'm dead serious. I got to that point in time and I just remember. But you know what you're describing? That's like most people. Most people do. Like they, they, they fucking like skid into Friday. Yeah. Hit happy hour hard. Yeah, but that's not a way to live. But you weren't living like that previously. No. You were like loving what you were doing. I was loving what I was doing because I was able to be creative and free. Yeah. And... What happened was I felt like I was heard. And that's one thing that I always said and I with Sam. You were heard with Sam. With Sam. But it was at like the new- at the new company, it was like they didn't want me to be heard. They wanted to silence me. <laughs> I had way too much power at that point for them. What do you mean way too much power? You, you had the experience had the rela- they, when I they bought the brand. Yeah, but yeah. I had the relationships as well with the brands. That's and, why they hired you. But they didn't want that. They didn't want me to be the only one mm-hmm. having that. Right. And that's where we had a problem. So they brought in people. Less experienced, less experience, less knowledgeable. Less knowledgeable, but also then told me to train those people. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling so down. Like that was probably the lowest part of life in business for me. Mm. Because I remember just being like so hurt, you know, yeah. by what was happening in the, in the terms of like me working so hard to be where I was at. And yeah. someone like putting a halt on that and saying, mm-hmm. no, 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 you can't do it this way. Mm-hmm. I want you to have her do it. But then you also then have to train this person to do mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, no. So then I became that disgruntled for them. They, they felt like I was being disgruntled. Right. And I felt like I was being real. Mistreated, yeah. Mistre- exactly. Right. So by, by the time we got to the 10th year, I was just, I had enough. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, got, I quit. Okay. And then, you, um, did you quit with a new job in hand yet? Well, no, because I had a non-compete. Okay. So when so you know you when you when you buy a business when yeah. you sell a business, sorry, um, you know we all sign non competes mm-hmm. and you can't work within an industry for a year. 
meaning Sam's trade show or fashion? Fashion. Which was <laughs> like, like no job at right, all. You can't me. work at the gap. You can't work. <laughs> hey, this is Jeff Staple, and I'm kind of an old school type of guy. I aspire to minimize aspects of my life. And I'm actually the type of person that wants less options. I just want to use the best things, not the most things. And this even boils down to something as minor as the apps on my phone. I no longer need three different apps for music and another one for news and yet another one for listening to podcasts. Why? Because now I get everything on Spotify. I can listen to all my favorite songs, artists, and now podcasts in one place. And you could do it for free, even without a premium account. I actually do have a premium account because it costs like less than two cappuccinos, so why not? But strangely enough, my partner prefers having a free account because she actually likes listening to ads. Go figure. Anyway, Spotify has a massive catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. But wait, there's more, my friend. You can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Premium users can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you are, with or without service. And you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends and enemies on an app called Instagram that I've heard is gaining quite a bit of popularity. So if you haven't done so already, download the Spotify app and immediately after that, search for The Business of Hype and follow it and me. You can also browse for other podcasts in the Your Library tab, but really all you need is this one. All right, go forth and minimize. Delete all your other apps and download Spotify today. So I had signed a non-compete and I remember being like, I've had enough. Uh-huh. And at the time I was just talking to Sam and Sam's like, listen, if it's not working for you, mm-hmm. just let it go. Yeah. And I was like, I have all these responsibilities. And he was like, don't even worry. That's not going to be a problem. So I went to them and I was like, I'm done. I was mm-hmm. getting married as well at the time. And I was just like, I can take a break off. Mm-hmm. And then at, the, at that time for them, everyone else was quitting. And I, had the, I was the one with the knowledge and the information. Yeah. So they was like, you can't leave. And unfortunately, this guy who they did hire, he was super sweet. And I felt like bad. But I was just like, he was like, stay for three more months, at uh-huh. least until the show. And then let's see. Just try to see if it works out. And I was like, okay, I'll stay. Mm-hmm. But the deal was that I had to get rid of my non-compete. Okay. And they let me go out of my non-compete. If you stayed extra. If I stayed extra and I stayed and then... You stayed the three months. Did you have like months. an alarm set on that? I was like, like, I, yeah. Ding, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I got to go. It was just too much for me. Yeah, after, yeah. I think after that, I remember feeling like I would never allow anyone in life to make me feel the way I felt that time. Mm. And that's just how I've always kept my life going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. One of my favorite quotes. Everyone has different working styles, but a common thread I hear with many guests on the business of hype is that success can be directly attributed to giving people the freedom to explore, learn, and shape their own perspective on their own terms. Yes, there's guidance and structure put in place, But allowing someone to figure out things for themselves allows them to realize things fully instead of being just a cog in the machine. Now, if you're the one assigned to do the job, it's important to figure out how to best do that task and process it as needed. Actually do it. Don't just watch, memorize, and mimic, but absorb, assess, 
and master. This not only gets the work done, but it empowers you to own that skill for the rest of your life and apply your own style to it, to improve upon it. Now, if you're a manager listening to this, this applies to you as well, but on the flip side. If you treat people like children, you will have an army of kids to look after. And if the people that report up to you fail and cannot progress as both coworkers and human beings, well, guess what? It's not a reflection on them. It's a reflection on you. Okay, so you you quit. You're now a free quit. agent. I'm now a free agent, and here What's comes next? the heavens open again. Yeah. My guardian angel, Sam, comes down, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and basically, you know, he's just like, listen, I want to do this again. And right. I was like... Not another trade show. He wanted to do another trade show. He wanted show. to do another trade show. He just was like, I see the market is open again. And I was like, okay. And he was like, but we, we should need to partner on it. And I remember thinking to myself, once again, I heard that voice from when, when I was in Louis Vuitton. Mm-hmm. It was like, you can either be working for someone for the rest of your life, or you could be a partner with someone that you highly respect right. and that has become a mentor to you, mm-hmm. you know, and do business that way. Yeah, and, and have equity. Skin and in have the game. equity yeah. and skin in the game and just be able to own something. Right. You know, and I thought that that was phenomenal and I agreed. And what was that? Now it's called Liberty. Okay. <laughs> and Inter is Liberty. Yeah. Uh, so Liberty, we started Liberty in um, 2013. Mm-hmm. So just understand this, everything is in threes. So Sam opened Atrium in 1993, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. We started Project in 2003 mm-hmm. and then we started Liberty in 2013. Wow. Yeah. That's your magic number. That's the number. Um, You're not born in March, are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> February. Okay, close. <laughs> um, so he, he, we, we started Liberty in 2013, and it was a really great success. It was the time. It was a void missing in the market because mm-hmm. I think people got so comfortable with the shift of just buying the same old, same old brands that yeah. they've been buying. We had the downfall of 2008 where mm-hmm. everybody was just like very stagnant. Yep. So by the time 2013 came, it was the time to look for new things, new mm-hmm. brands, experience new things. Yeah. So it was really, really great time right. to start. And he's, his timing is impeccable. His timing is like genius. Yeah, yeah. Okay? He's the gods. Can you talk, like, let's just digress a little bit yeah. on what else Sam does that's amazing. Oh, my God. Sam is a visionary. Yeah. Sam is a man that there's only probably one or two of him in the world to mm-hmm. me. Um, I think that he is a leader within everything that he does, and he does it with passion, and he thinks things out. Every time I think I have this man figured out, he comes with something new. Yeah. So Sam has been involved in numerous businesses. Right. Um it's just something that I think, you know, we will all see yeah. in the future. I, mean, I don't think it's a secret that he's like a partner in Kith, right? Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fine. Open. Do you remember when he present? he like, because you were already working with him. You yeah. were probably a partner at the time. I was, uh, no, actually, I was at Project when he started with Kith. Okay. So I would always come in and I'll see all this new stuff and he'll be like, oh, do you know Ronnie or whatever? And, and we'll talk and... yeah. And he'll tell me what's going on. Uh-huh. And I think did you see? Genius. Did you see it back then? I saw it back then. You have to understand where we we worked in atrium in the basement. Uh huh. So for me, project started in the basement. Kids <laughs> started in that basement, yep. and just to see these things expand into yeah. where they're at today. You saw it coming. Yeah. Wow. It's phenomenal. Because if you if for the kids remember, Kith used to be just half of atrium. Yeah. It was first of all, the it back- started only as the little 
portion of yep. atrium, and then it grew into half the mm-hmm. store of atrium, and then it ended up taking up the entire atrium, right. and now it has its own three-floor location on Lafayette, <laughs> right. so shout out to Ronnie and yeah. Sam for that one. It's incredible. Yeah. And Sam is, I mean, like, it's just from atrium to that, I guess. He's been involved in so many things. I know, um, what was the other, there's different things that Has he ever gone on the brand in. side? Yes, actually, he did. He was doing a brand at one point called Improved, which was super good. I think that one was about timing. He had yeah. a store in the meatpacking district. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a brand before it's time. Okay. It's what everyone basically is trying to do now, which is so crazy. Yeah. Um, but he is a visionary. He yeah. sees things long before they happen. Mm-hmm. And he just and he also just believes in it. Yeah. You know, I go to Sam with the most random shit sometimes and he's like, Hmm, that's a great idea. Let's let's talk this out. <laughs> right. Like, you know. Okay. You you mentioned that you are a co-owner in two other shows. Yes. So what why, are the other two? when we started um Liberty, mm-hmm. Sam also had partnered with um a, one of the buyers at Atrium at the time called Janet. Her name is Janet Wong. She's amazing. She's an amazing buyer. Uh, she's also a visionary within the fashion space with women's. Um and started a swimwear sort, like a resort trade show okay. called Cabana. Okay. And it, this was her idea this or Sam's? This was her idea. idea so it was her she, idea that she pitched she to Sam. She pitched to Sam okay. and she basically started this trade show and it was something of one of its kind. Because mm-hmm. you always had the normal swimwear resort shows in Miami, but her concept was more thought out. It was like, let's build these beautiful white tents on the beach. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in the, you know, a, a big space like it would be oh, okay. normally. It was just really authentic and it was simple. Mm-hmm. It was like, let's add little details like palm trees and let's make it look beautiful. Yeah. Let's make it be like a woman's store where you want to walk in and shop. Mm -hmm. Had little coconuts, just like little things that made it special. And she created that with him. And um, we ended up absorbing it under the Liberty umbrella. Because Liberty was like the biggest one. Because Liberty was the biggest one. And then um, we ended up purchasing Capsule Mm -hmm. from the Reed guys over at Reed who owned at the time Agenda and Capsule Mm -hmm. because we wanted more women's. We wanted to go step into the women's market and Capsule was a really great um, opportunity for us to do that. Okay. So we stepped into the women's contemporary market with Capsule, and then we had Cabana, and now Wilson Liberty. So we mutually know Deirdre, yes, who is we the do. founder, of, founder Capsule. of Capsule. So this, she wasn't involved in that. She sold it to Reed already. She and then, had sold it to Reed, and okay. then we bought it from Reed. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then so you rolled up the three shows into sort into of one entity. One entity. Yes. That you became co-owner of all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Was that good for you financially? It's good for me, long-term financially, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's just fun also. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you don't have enough on your plate, why (laughs) did you want to start like another one now? Well, Or it's not the same, but it's it's different. No, it's not the same, it's different. But it's another project. I wanted to start this next project because this was near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to, I was once given an opportunity by Sam. And I always vowed to myself, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, being that brown girl from Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. that was a rarity. Right, someone in, gave, industry, in this mean, industry. Right, um, someone gave me an opportunity, mm-hmm. and I didn't even think twice that it could be so hard for the next brown girl. Yeah. And then, as I was growing up, I saw what it did to me at Project, and I remember saying, "I want to help every other young brown girl mm-hmm. come into the space and not feel as uncomfortable as these people made me." Yeah. So I wanted to be able to develop um, more entrepreneurial young girls. Right. And I went to Sam, and I was like, "Listen, there's this thing called I want to do." A festival. Mm-hmm. And it was more dedicated towards educating young girls on how to become the woman that they want to become. Basically. More so than selling, selling, yes. selling. More so than selling. 
it was important for me to be able to give back mm-hmm. and be able to develop these women um, into being entrepreneurs. Yeah, you. Me, basically. <laughs> into, into developing um, and you. not having to depend on a company to right. hire them right. and grooming them into being responsible women. Mm-hmm. So I was going to festivals all year in probably 2017, I'm going to say. Yeah. And I got what they were giving and I get it. And nothing, never, no disrespect to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I just felt as for me, what I would have wanted to see wasn't being portrayed. So I went to Sam and I was like, I did this whole entire deck and I was like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you think this will work? And I was like, I honestly believe in this. And this is going to be like, for me, this is where my heart is. Okay. Right. And he was like, okay. He, that's the most amazing thing about him yeah. is I came to him with something and he looked at me and it, you know, we went back and forth. He had a couple questions mm-hmm. and I was like, listen, this is what's missing. And I feel like there's a trillion young girls out there that need this. Yeah. I have girls hitting me up every day for mentorship and help and mm-hmm. just understanding where their next step is. Yeah. And I try to take tea, coffee, lunch, mm-hmm. breakfast, but I'm one individual. Yeah. Why not find other women that I respect and I think that are doing great things just as much as I am mm-hmm. to help in the interim. Right. So it was built upon that. I um, then called my girlfriend, uh, Laura Styles, at 97. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, you know, listen, I grew up watching her grind. We mm-hmm. both grew up watching. I've known Laura since I was working at Louis Vuitton. Okay. And I've seen how she interned. I've seen how she came to the top of being what she is today. Mm-hmm. And I was, we always said we wanted to work together. And I was like, look, I want to do this thing, but I definitely think we need a music component. And she was like, I'm in. Okay. She was like, let's go. And so she did all the music components of Envision. Mm-hmm. So Envision is basically a two-day festival conference where you're getting the education from panel discussions happening within finance, within sex, within beauty, within wellness, within anything that a young girl is going through. Right. Um, and then we also have like a beauty floor, a wellness floor, a fashion floor mm-hmm. where you can do like activations. So it can have like silent yoga. You can have meditation. You can have um, a braid bar. You can get your nails done. You can sell stuff. Yeah. Um, you can do your customization um, from that to a conversation mm-hmm. and then to music. So yeah. we had our first festival last year, as mentioned before, we had like Tanache perform. Mm-hmm. We had Sweetie perform, uh, Queen Nija. Uh, Malibu Mitch, all these girls that these young girls listen to, yeah. and then popped up. Lauren Hill came by, which was like an amazing thing for me because I, <laughs> I was like, "Wait a minute, this is amazing!" And she's like, "I love what you guys are doing here." Wow! So it was like a big, big deal for us, and we did it. It's crazy because we did it in three months. Yeah, yeah. Spell Envision because I know it's in yeah, case they want to Google took it. it. It's E N V S N. Okay. Envision Festival. Okay. Yeah. Um, is Sam a partner with you on that? Yes. But you're the majority of that? Yeah, I, I'm the person that do it, yes. Okay, yes. all right. <laughs> and you mentioned, you were talking about like being a person of color from Brooklyn yeah. and a little girl, you yeah. know, like, and just full disclosure, Sam is not a person no. like, of color. He's he's Israeli. He's Sam Israeli, is Israeli, yeah. and it's really interesting. I remember, and I up to this day, I've always looked, Sam never looks at color. Mm-hmm. From when I worked yeah. in Atrium, they came in. They wanted a job. As long as they're equipped, Sam hires them. Right. There was never any color. Yeah. And I wanted to make that point because it wasn't like, this isn't a case of like, you know, I'm looking out for my people. Like, no. He's right. more like, I, I just want good workers. Mm-hmm. He never looked at color. And it, that's, those are the, the qualities within him yeah. that stays. Mm-hmm. He's humble. Mm-hmm. 
you would never even probably know Sam does all the things that he does because right. he walking looks, around, walking yeah. around like a regular, you know, guy. Right. Right. And he's not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing individual, and I have the highest, yeah. most respect for him. Explain a little bit if you can articulate, like in the fashion industry, how hard it is for a person of color and a oh female. Oh my god, being a female, especially within the fashion industry, it's very hard because people look at your exterior. Mm-hmm. Before they look at whatever what what you're knowledgeable yeah, about, yeah, your resume. They whatever, look yeah. at you as a person, and if you don't fit the mold of what they're used to seeing, mm-hmm. i.e., it being the your, look, your, the look, yeah. you're skinny, you're light, you're this, you're mm-hmm. that, they would x you out right away. Yeah, and that's why, especially was, in fashion, especially in fashion, because you have to have a look, mm-hmm. right? And I remember a, a woman at my job always saying, "Why do you get so dressed up for work?" Because and I said, because I have to. Uh-huh. I'm in fashion. <laughs> I'm in fashion, yeah. but I don't have the ability to come to work in sweatpants. Mm-hmm. That's just not what I can do. Yeah. When I come to work in sweatpants and sneakers, I'm called ghetto. Uh-huh. If you come to work in sweatpants and sneakers, you're called cool yeah, or you're fire. Yeah, you're called at leisure. At leisure, <laughs> exactly. So... That's so funny. You know, I'm called ghetto. <laughs> I'm called ghetto. That's what it was. But you recognize the game. I recognized the game a long time ago, and mm-hmm. it's how you play the game, mm-hmm. right? And I think that sometimes we, um, it, it, it discourages brown people mm-hmm. a lot. And I'm here to say, don't be discouraged, because it's a well-known fact that many things start with us. Mm-hmm. We start a lot of these trends, and it just yeah. gets carried on to something else. It gets else, stolen. And it gets stolen. Yep. And I just want people to really understand. I want for young brown girls and young brown boys to understand that they can be whatever the fuck they want to be. Yeah. There's no limitation to where you are to be. Mm-hmm. You just have to do the work and put in the right time. Yeah. 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 I interviewed uh, Ferg yesterday. No way. Yeah. Okay. And we talked a long time about what Virgil at LV means. Yeah. Right. And it's, he was like, it's, it's Obama moment level. Like that 100%. somebody broke... Through that, that wall. hundred wall, percent. Yeah. No matter how much, you know, everyone has their opinion about it, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that was a win for us. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a huge win for us. <laughs> that's how we look at yeah. it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is definitely an Obama moment. Yeah. Um, but it's all about what we do when we're there. Yes. You know? Because, like, the notion is that there is these walls. And the walls, of course, are not, like... 100% defined. It's sort of like a myth- mythological thing. Exactly. But when you've made it to that wall, like I also interviewed Samuel Ross from a cold wall. Yeah. He's made it through that wall. Mm-hmm. And I asked Sam, I was like, is there really a wall now that you're there? Yeah. Or is it bullshit? He's like, no, there's fucking walls. No, there's walls. There's mad wall. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's and like a 90 foot wall. And then there's like a 120 foot wall exactly. like behind it. There is a lot of walls, but it's for us who's in those positions to mm-hmm. bring people up. Yeah. And that's what is so important for me. Mm-hmm. We need to start like supporting each other. Yeah. One thing I learned from Sam was also if someone came in that office and spoke Israeli, mm-hmm. listen, you need a job, go see my friend down the street. That's what we need to start doing. Yeah. We need to do that more. Yeah. 100%. Normally in the brown community, we'll be like, oh, no, we don't know about no <laughs> job. No, no, no. <laughs> but that's what we need to start doing more of. Uh-huh. And that's what Envision was based upon. I didn't want girls to feel like they needed to compete with each other anymore. Mm-hmm. You need to start collaborating with each other right. and working together. These are the facts of life. The walls are very real. Anyone who's been on the Business of Hype podcast will attest to that. And anyone who's been in the industry will tell you the same. 
And not only are there walls, but there are old guards who want those walls to stay up. The new guard, the people who represent the future, they need to figure out a way around this. And the best idea is to go about it together, not separately. Over the last few years, there's been such an emphasis on competition that the opportunities for co-creating have been missed. Who's doing what? Yo, I can do that better. Why aren't people noticing me doing that? That mindset, unfortunately, has been rampant and proliferated even more since social media really just dominated all of our lives. Although there is still that competition today, I do feel that the level of collaboration is rising. And I don't mean two artists dropping a sneaker collaboration. I mean people like Sharifa encouraging and advocating for others. What I love is that Sharifa has spent her career cementing herself as one of the best in the game. She was given the shot and grew into a true leader in the industry. And now that she has that, like she said, it's what you do with it. And you don't have to be a multifaceted brand owner to give someone else a shot. Just share a contact, tell someone how you got that job, offer a bit of advice. Using whatever platform you have, big or small, to give anyone any knowledge you have might help. That's the collaboration I'm talking about. And come to think of it, that's kind of why I do this damn show. You were probably given a hand at least once in your life. All I'm saying is just pay it forward. So you got a lot on your plate right now, right? Yeah. What's a, can you just describe like what is a nine, like what you wake up and I what happens? I wake up at 4.50. A.M. A.M., yes, every day. Uh-huh. Um, and I go to the gym. I have okay. a trainer. So I work out for like an hour, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I come home, take a bath, and I get on my phone because that's what the new, the new thing for me. I used to get on it as soon as I got up. Yeah, but so now, you don't do that? No. Okay. I don't. I try really hard not to even look at my phone until mm-hmm. I'm finished working out. Okay. Um, because that distracts you. Yeah. You know? Uh, a friend, a good friend of mine taught me, because I used to get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and mm-hmm. I'll get on my phone. A friend of mine, Aton, who I work really closely with and dear friend, he was like, put your phone on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. So even if you get Not up, bedside, yeah. don't put it on the side of your bed and turn off the phone. Right. It's okay. Uh-huh. Back in the day, you had no phone. So if right. someone had an emergency, <laughs> they would come find you. Yeah. Um, you so, know what I did recently? I turned off all my notifications, those little oh, pop-down things. Oh, those have always been off. Oh. I'm never turning that. <laughs> that. That will drive me crazy. No, that stays off. Okay. I put the phone now on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. That way I don't pick up my phone in the middle of the night. You have kids? No. Okay. Not yet, which is crazy. <laughs> I don't know what my life would be when I, know. I have you kids. Got, you need another day in the week for that. Oh, yeah. So okay, I get so, up. Yeah. I work out. Um, then you check the phone. I check my phone. I eat mm-hmm. breakfast. Um and then I go into work, but then it depends. I will have a breakfast meeting yeah. or a breakfast phone call, or it's just phone calls, calls, meetings, calls all day long. Do you try to organize like Liberty, Cabana, Capsule, and Envision? I try like, to. I try, but... Is like it, Tuesday Envision Day? No. Wednesday normally is Envision Day. Okay. Wednesday night actually is Envision Day. <laughs> but there's always Envision problems yeah. or Liberty problems. You can't, or control, you can't control it. So you just try to manage your time. Thank God I got an assistant and uh-huh. she's phenomenal. Okay. Her name is Lucia. So shout out Lucia. Shout out to Lucia because without Lucia, my life cannot be complete, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. 
um, she keeps me more balanced. I'm the one who's like always agreeing to do. I overcommit to things. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell everyone, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there. And she'll be like, absolutely not. This right. is way too much and you need to rest and you need... Because I've started trying to have some sort of balance these days. I was just about to ask, work-life balance. Yeah, what's I that, what's have, that like? That's better for me. Because okay. I was feeling like my body was dragging. Uh-huh. Um, so I just changed a couple of things. It changed how I'm eating. Mm-hmm. I started to become more vegan. Mm-hmm. Eating, eat, stop eating meat. Yeah. Um, and this is something new to me because I'm Trinidadian and we eat tons of chicken and <laughs> yeah, goat <yeah>. and <laughs> curry. Um, how long have like you been vegan? Two and a half months now. Have you felt? I any felt difference? really good. And feel- funny enough, I tried to eat fish the other day, and I think I'm like, I'm tired. I'm tired again. What's going on? Wow, even it's fish weird. made you tired. It's weird, but maybe it's my psyche. I uh-huh. don't know. I'm trying to test out things. Yeah, yeah. But recently, I was like, I can't. Right. Um, and then I also figured out to start, I don't read enough. Mm-hmm. I need to start reading. So I carved out a half an hour in my morning to try to read Okay. before I get on the phone. Read on the phone. Oh, no. So no. read like a paper. I read like a, a paper or a book okay. or something because right. I drive in every morning as well. Okay. So I don't get that opportunity where people's on trains and stuff. I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to keep balance. I have a husband, so yeah. I also have to like make sure he's okay. Check mm-hmm. on him sometimes because as women, yeah, so. we get busy. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you live he's a single there, life. Yeah. He, I'm going to make sure he's going to still be there. Right, right. Um, he's amazing. Shout out to Layton. Um, <laughs> he keeps me sane. Yeah. And he's an amazing chef, so he cooks every day oh, for oh, me as well. Nice. Um, so that's how I keep my life. Um, Saturdays and Sundays are dedicated towards him. Okay. I don't make plans unless we speak about it. Mm-hmm. On, um, like... Emergency situations. Emergency situation. yeah, situations. Yeah. So like if I have to go to a party for my, my girlfriends, I'll tell them. Right. Um, so that's how my life is balanced. Oh. Cool. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up a uh, an 800-pound gorilla in the room question. Yeah. You are heavily involved in the trade show business. Mm-hmm. And because as we mentioned earlier, this new surge of brands that are starting out as D2C.com brands, mm-hmm. they feel like... And this, I think the argument is still out for whether that's right or wrong, but they feel like they don't need wholesale. They don't need accounts. They okay. could do it all through Instagram and through the internet, right? I, mm-hmm. Which is affecting yeah. facts. facts. It's, yeah, it's affecting the trade show industry. 100%. So t- talk about first, for those who don't know, what's happening with the trade show industry. So basically, within the trade show space right now, a lot of new designers coming out don't believe that trade shows is is the way. Mm-hmm. They think that they can go direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. The only problem is is that everyone can't go direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's going to come to a cap, right? Yep. And there right currently you're seeing the cap. There's only probably really 10 successful, really yeah. really successful brands that are direct to consumer. Yeah, it's true. Um and you still, as a designer, need that outlet to mm-hmm. kind of get in front of the consumer. Right. Just because I, you can have a Shopify account doesn't does mean, not mean you're going to get customers. No, yeah. and not at all. And right. I, listen, I think that you have to believe in yourself as a brand. Mm-hmm. You can definitely do direct to consumer, but there needs to be some sort of element, um, some sort of element as wholesale. Yeah. Like you need that mm-hmm. because that gives you some sort of structure as well yeah. on and timing and things that you need structure. to do. And I also think it makes your brand real. Like 100%. people need to walk into and stores relevant. and like, Touch your brand. Yes, yeah. I agree. I agree. So in my mind, I do believe everything that goes up comes down. Mm-hmm. And I know that right now, you know, trade shows are at this like even keel place where it's yeah. just right there. Uh-huh. And I do believe it's going to go up. I think that stores are going to have a resurgence again. Yeah. I definitely believe it is a trickle effect. So what we said before, a lot of people don't feel comfortable shopping in stores because there's no service. Yes. I think that it's important for stores to train their employees. Yeah, to carry. And to 
to to take that responsibility. Right. Um, small boutique stores, I do believe, are doing well because mm-hmm. of the service that they're giving. Yeah. Um, but the big department stores need to be concerned. Mm-hmm. They need to definitely pay attention to what's out there and try to be a leader instead of a follower. Yeah. And what doesn't help is that when stores do bad, they go out of business and they close, they close. which hurts the trade show business. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because like a, a big department store might send like 20 people. 20 people. Yeah. I remember, listen, when we first started trade shows, I remember Vegas being like a 20,000 people yeah. event. Yeah. Like, and that was with retail, mm-hmm. right? Now, I would say Vegas is seven, and Mm. that's a stretch, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's to tell you how big of a gap, how many stores have been closed, Mm -hmm. how many people don't feel like it's needed, or they don't have the money to travel, right? So I definitely believe it's a problem. It's like there has to be a reset button hit on retail. 100%. And I think, like I said, it's a trickle effect. Mm -hmm. If the stores aren't doing... If consumers are not happy, the stores aren't going to do good. If stores aren't going to do good, brands aren't doing good. If brands Mm -hmm. aren't doing good, trade shows aren't doing good. So it's always a trickle effect. And I think it's about really and truly talking. I always wanted to start like a retail... um, What is it? Like group? Yeah. Where we all come together and kind of like have a real conversation. Uh Because... I remember back in the day, it was like if you sold one store, you was not selling the other store. Like yep. there was that rule, that golden rule. Yep. yep. And I think some designers got greedy mm-hmm. and they got scared. And then some retailers got scared mm-hmm. and they started following. So now one store looks like the other store, the other store. It's like someone said, here goes the so-and-so kit, take it. Yeah. And each store has the same exact kit. So right. it's not interesting and compelling. Yeah. And if you just walk down Broadway, you'll feel Oh my feel God. That. Yeah. I feel it every day. It's stressful. <laughs> I, I, it's identical shit, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, cookie cutter. Yeah. I want to, I, every time I, I do something in retail, I want every staff member to go to Japan. Oh my God, yes. Right? I feel like it's expensive, but I feel like it's worth I tell the education. every designer, uh-huh. if you have not gone to Japan, just forget it. <laughs> you need that experience. No, no, no. They're the I, gold standard. Like. They're gold. They're like diamond and platinum. <laughs> they treat you. I can buy a pen. Yeah. And it made it feel like I bought a Gucci bag. <laughs> like, it is like the like best the gift wrapping and, and the shit. way they hand it to you, they the, walk yeah. you to the, the receipt. Door. They give you the receipt. Literally, if you buy like a cracker, yes. it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I think everybody, please, please, everyone, get the experience. Go to Japan and just see mm. how their retail is. Yeah. That's where the tour should that. be. If you're in any creative field, yes. whether it's retail, design, whatever, if you're not there, you're not seeing the not standard. Seeing yeah. nothing. <laughs> just continue doing whatever you're doing if that's the case. Seriously. We could not be more serious here. These shifts that we're seeing in retail... There are many factors involved, but a lot of them stems from the customer experience. And whether it be the experience of transitioning from real life to digital or the experience that we expect in a level of service that we all deserve, there's a reason why many shops and stores are closing, yet others are thriving. There's the overall experience of the interior of the space and what's being sold. And then there's the experience created by the people working there. Every store has an end goal. You step in and you purchase something. That's the bottom line. I get it. But if that's all that you care about and don't understand the incremental steps it takes to get to that goal, you're lost from square one. I'll share a little anecdote here about one of my first trips to Japan. So I took an overnight bullet train and on these trains, there are snack carts that get pushed up and down the aisles by people throughout your ride. 
The rule for the staff is upon entering and leaving every train car, the snack cart person must turn around and bow as they do in Japan. It's a sign of gratitude and respect. So I'm on this overnight train and my train car happens to be literally completely empty. I'm the only person on it and I'm fading in and out of sleep consciousness. So my eyes are basically closed. As the snack cart person walks past me, I flicker my eyes ever so slightly open and I notice that as she exits the car, she turns around and bows deeply to a nearly empty train with one passenger who, in her mind, is fast asleep. That, my friends, is Japan. And that is what I'm talking about. It's care, it's craft, it's process, it's the way. You mentioned that a lot of um, a lot of people, especially young girls, especially people of color, yeah. um, they constantly ask you for advice. Yeah. What is the number one question that you always hear repeated that we can address here on the air? Like, what is the number one issue that young girls, people of color, or young creatives that are struggling? What are they going through? What's the number how one challenge? How do how did you get where you got? Okay, that's and the number one question. I think it's for them. Well, just listen to this podcast. Now. Yeah, you can listen to this. <laughs> but I also think I always tell people, and this is my model that I live by: yeah. you have to set your tone, right? You want respect from people, mm-hmm. you have to earn respect, and you have to show up. Yeah, you know. And I always tell young people, as interns that come to my office all the time, if you want a job here, show up on time. Mm-hmm. Show that you're interested. Yeah. Don't wait for someone to give you a job. Ask how can you help. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that. This generation is so inundated with social media yeah. that they believe everything that they see on social media is real, mm-hmm. i.e. how they work. Yeah. And that's not true. Right. And I think that I want for young people to understand that I'm not saying work hard. You don't need to go crazy, but mm-hmm. what you do need to do is invest in your time and your future Yeah. because that's the only way you're going to be successful. What do you say to people that say, you're very lucky? I'm not lucky. I worked my ass the hell off and I'm still working. <laughs> but you walked into LV and you got the job. You walked into Atrium and you just got the job. You're lucky. Yeah, but I presented myself in a certain way. Right. And I had the confidence when I walked in those places. Mm-hmm. You had to, just, to to yeah. you know, mm-hmm. had to do the work to get to that point. I had to do the work. You know, and it's a mental thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of young people, because of social media, they go through all these different changes. They're going through anxiety. They're going through... Um, self-doubt. Yeah. And I think that we need to start uplifting these people mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people struggling. They might look like they're smiling on Instagram, yeah. but a lot of young people are struggling today right. because they're competing. Stop the competition. There's no competition. It's that number. You, yeah, but it's that, stop. It's that like it's number. It's not real. <laughs> who, who cares? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, we grew up in an era where there was no likes. No. You just were, you were you. It was you, better, yeah. And it was just a better experience. Mm-hmm. You got to experience things. Yeah. And I think that no one's experiencing things in the current moment. Mm-hmm. They're so busy, like, wanting to make it look like something. Yeah. That they're not fully enjoying life. Right, right. And I think that, yes, as much as we love social media, and I love it too, mm-hmm. um, sometimes we need to let it go and yeah. just enjoy life. Enjoy the day. Put that phone on the other Put side of the on room. on the other side of the room and call it a day. <laughs> right, Sometimes right. you need to get rid of it, seriously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how can people find out all, you got lot, like, just do the roll call. Shout out every oh handle you got. Simple. I'm really simple. I'm an Instagram girl. Sharifa says on Instagram. S-A-Y-S? Um, S- yeah, S-A-Y-S. Okay. Um, and Envision Fest. That's where you find everything. Okay. E-N-V-S-N Festival, right. September 14th and 15th. You got to be there. All right, cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. 
Hey, thank you for listening to this incredible episode with the ever-inspiring Sharifa Murdoch. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, please do me a favor and leave a rating and tell us what you think of the show. And also, tell a friend about the show. And if your friend is everyone on social media, well, feel free to share it there too. It definitely helps out a lot. We do occasionally answer listener questions on the show, so if you got a question, shoot it over to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Novetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers-Berry. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpera and Christina Hong. This episode was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location in New York City. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio. Hypebeast.